0: Demand for energy is growing, and so is the need for American oil and natural gas. It's time to turn the lights on. America's resources are abundant. Our nation is a global leader in reducing emissions and innovators in delivering more energy sources to secure our future. Nine in ten Americans agree. American oil and natural gas are vital to our economy. Visit LightsOnEnergy.com. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. You're listening to the Oil and Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry.
1: listening to the oil and gas this week podcast brought to you by api this is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry thanks for joining us for episode 333
0: hey Paige. hi (laughs) wasn't our last industry mixer in houston incredible it was i met a lot of people we sold out had a great time Food, fun, drinks, prizes, raise money for a very important charity, met a lot of new people. It was a blast. If you're in Houston and you're not following our LinkedIn page, that's why you didn't know about it. If you're in Houston and you signed up, you should automatically get notified each month. If you're in Calgary, Canada, Lafayette, Louisiana, or Dallas, Texas, coming soon to a neighborhood near you. So pay attention. And you know what else is going on by the time this comes out? Nape. North American Prospect Expo, one of our favorite trade shows in the industry. Uh, if you're going to NAEP, go walk the Expo floor Thursday or Friday. We're at booth 4453. It's 4453. We have a podcast pavilion set up.
1: Yeah. So when you walk in, bust a right and we're towards the back.
0: Yep. And if you want to get yourself or your company on one of our podcasts or one of the other podcasts, we probably can make it happen. And if nothing else, just come by and say hi. This is the place where we do the reviews. Well, Paige, hmm. I screwed up. What? So instead of review, I was very awesome. Bid Coney wrote in, and he goes, "Just listen to the 124 podcast."
1: Gave me zero out of
0: ten for geography. Cape of Good Hope—that <laughs> was all me. <laughs> Cape of Good Hope is around South Africa. That's South America. I know that, people. But, Ben, you busted me. And thank you for catching us. Anytime I make a mistake, people, please let me know. We need to make sure that our audiences are updated. It's not about me being right. It's about making sure that we get the right information out there. You did bust me, Ben. I made that such a beginner's mistake. And he is right. Cape of Good Hope is around South Africa, not South America. But then he says, but I don't care. I still really enjoy the show and listening to you and Paige. Keep up the good work. (laughs) We will, Ben. And uh, like I said, thank you for letting me know that I made a mistake.
1: All right, well, let's get into the news stories. First up, U.S. oil giant ExxonMobil sues activist investors. Don't you remember me saying last year that as we
0: head into 2024- Well, Shell's already doing it, you so see why not? This sort of stuff. Now, I got to a little, we'll call it a discussion with a couple people on LinkedIn around this. And their initial take was, hey, what Exxon's doing is illegal because these activists, which is a Capital and Follow This is the name of the activist groups, are investors and shareholders like anybody else. And I said, yes. However, by law, when you're a public company, the CEO and executive team has to run the investor meetings in a way that doesn't waste resources, right? It can't be a four-day party. That's illegal. What's happened is these two groups that have filed, these two groups that ExxonMobil is suing, have filed multiple proposals for Exxon to get away from its core business to limit the amount of carbon dioxide that it's releasing. And they're doing it in a way that overwhelms the board. So it's not a proposal from shareholders that is part of helping ExxonMobil's business, no matter what anybody says, let's be truthful here. These two groups bought shares in ExxonMobil so they could intentionally disrupt shareholder meetings and hopefully try to steer ExxonMobil in a way they want to go politically. Remember, public companies have a couple responsibilities. The biggest one's to the shareholders, next one's to the employees, and those two are almost equal. And then finally, they're there to make money, to make a profit. Forget climate change, forget anything else ExxonMobil is no different than Tesla, is no different than Walmart, is no different than Microsoft in the fact that it's a public company there to make sure the shareholder value is maintained. These two groups are not trying to increase or even help shareholder value. They're trying to hurt it, quite honestly. Nobody wants to say that. They're using the actual rules of public companies and of shareholder meetings to interrupt normal business. That's what I have a big problem with. I am 100% okay with them submitting one proposal like everybody else does. You can't submit 400 proposals. Do you want the CEO of your company and his executive team reading 400 proposals instead of running your company? No. With the people that argue with me on LinkedIn, for some reason, they eventually shut up when I brought that up, probably because they realized they were wrong. And if you want to hear more of that, go to the balance point. That's where we really get deep in that sort of stuff and have some fun. But ExxonMobil filed a lawsuit against the U.S. and Dutch activist investors in the interest of of keeping them from submitting multiple climate proposals during the annual shareholder meetings. It's the first time ExxonMobil does this. It will not be the last time. The complaint was filed in U.S. District Court for North and District of Texas. Texas has been a little busy lately. A little busy, Yep. And they're basically saying, hey, SEC, all we're trying to do is there's a breakdown of the shareholder proposal process, which these two activist groups are doing on purpose. And we're simply asking you to apply the SEC's proxy rules as written to stop this abuse and eliminate the significant resources required to address them. I agree 100%. Like I said, take everything out of this. If you want to tell me that these two activist groups are bought shares in ExxonMobil to support ExxonMobil, come talk to me. Let's get on the balance point and go through it. Because I'm telling you, they didn't. And what ExxonMobil done is the right thing to do. Regardless of what your beliefs are, these two groups are interrupting a publicly held company, and they should not be able to do it, according to the SEC. And like I told everybody that disagreed with me, it's going to court. Let's see what the Texas court says about this.
1: They have a lot to say these days. Speaking of interruptions, Biden pauses LNG export approvals after pressure from climate activists.
0: I should have suspected something like this was coming, but even I did not think they would stoop this low. Obviously, we're in an election cycle. Obviously, this is to gain votes for the election cycle. This helps zero, helps nobody. Let's talk about the places that it will hurt. You've heard me talk for a couple of years now, and you've read the news all over the place where Russia's chokehold on Europe, where they've always supplied natural gas during the winter, has been loosened and almost eliminated because of what's going on with the war in Ukraine. Europe is no longer buying natural gas or not buying much natural gas, really. For Russia, anymore, which is great, we're supplying that natural gas. What's going to happen to Europe when we can't supply the natural gas? What is their choice to be? they are go back to Russia. They have mm-hmm. no choice. Next thing is 60% of the world is fed with ammonia stripped from natural gas. Without the fertilizers that we use in modern society, you have about 3 billion people starve to death if you do the math. Don't want that to happen. They're not going to be able to get the nitrogen they need from ammonia if we can't export this LNG. Think of all the jobs that have been created by these LNG export facilities and then all the LNG import facilities around the world, that's gonna disappear. This is utterly ridiculous, it helps nobody. The pause for pending approvals and future applications is nothing but a political ploy. And if you kind of read through this, you can tell that it's exactly what it is. The other thing that really bothers me about this, if you look at our current administration's cabinet, you look at their statements, they're basically saying that we've had a lot of people, especially young people, including people, some pretty big creators on TikTok, some influencers say they don't want LNG because it harms the planet. I did some digging to some of the TikTok around this page Mm -hmm. and the overwhelming thing I read with all these TikTok posts that are against this, that is one of the reasons that our present administration decided to postpone and pause the approvals for LNG exporting is that they're worried that two things they're talking about. They're worried that our exporting of LNG will hurt the gas prices at the pump.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: TikTokers, the gas you buy in, the, <laughs> in your car is not made from LNG. Even though they both have gas in their name, they are two separate things, number one. Number two is they're worried about its impact to the environment if an LNG spill happens.
1: It evaporates.
0: (laughs) It evaporates, people. Now, if it's spilled on you, it's cold, and it could hurt you. It evaporates. It's not like crude oil. So social media warrior, anti-LNG warriors, you should at least understand what you're fighting against before you put your opinions out there. But by this point, (laughs) I'm used to it. This is a political ploy. This is going to be a mess coming up when the election cycle and the primaries start happening. Well, we're not far from it. And we're not far from it. The one thing that makes me okay with this— is no matter what happens during our upcoming election, this will be overturned for one reason or another. Either our next administration will just throw it out the door, or for some reason our current administration stays in power. All the political backlash that you get from the rest of the world and the lack of revenue Will quietly make this thing go away right after the election. So, either way, I'm not worried about it. But it's just crappy when organizations do this for purely political means and they hurt not only people here in the US, but all around the world. Yeah. Sad, really.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. So, next up, we have US oil and gas deal making reaches fever pitch in
0: 2023. And Varus says, Hey, listeners, you got to click on the link to this article and just scroll down like one third. And there's this graph that starts at beginning of 2022 goes into 2023. Let me describe it to you. Every quarter of this graph, talking about deals in our industry, is in the top, say, half inch of this graph. And then we hit right now this past quarter, the fourth quarter of 2023, and it's about four inches high. It shows you the big (laughs) difference and how many deals are made. This reminds me, Paige, of what I went through in the 90s. We had the same thing going in the 90s. We had a bunch of mergers and acquisitions, and that's what really kind of formed and solidified the super majors. That was after that big downturn. Yes, after the downturn of the, the 80s. Yeah. This is going to continue. I never said there's going to be more acquisitions and mergers going on in our industry. It's going to be a huge. Well, that was in your years. predictions. Well, maybe that's where I never got it from. Probably. The one thing I will let people think about a little bit that often is not discussed around this is that when you have these big deals made, if you're in the investor space, You have to remember, you're going to have years of smaller spun-off deals that's being caused by this, right? So when you have, say, operator A buys operator B, here in the US, in order for them to do that, in order for them not to be any issues with monopolies, what will happen is before they do the merger, they'll spin off different business units of theirs. Every one of those businesses they spin off is a smaller deal that's spun off mm-hmm. from these big right. deals. So if you're in that investment space, pay attention to all the little deals that's going to be spun off from these large deals that are happening now and that will continue happening in the future. But this is just a sign of how where our industry is going. I knew it was coming. It's happening now. It's actually good for the industry. Like I said, we'll have a lot more going on for the next year and a half or two years.
1: Okay. So next up, Texas Upstream Oil employment keeps growing.
0: Yep. This is a really good space. The data in here is awesome. Data came from the Texas Workforce Commission, basically saying that roughly since the pandemic of 2020, we've been adding about 3,000 jobs every month to the workforce in Texas in the oil and gas space. So really interesting bits of data here in that the average salary of these different jobs is $124,000 a year. And a lot of those jobs are right past the entry point. So if you're looking for work and you don't mind hard labor and being away from your family for a little bit, you can come to Texas, get a job in the industry and start making some pretty decent money. The other thing that I think is really interesting here is that the Texas Workforce Commission, along with the employment statistics in the state of Texas, get it um, out <laughs> says that these jobs have some of the lowest turnarounds, which basically means the people that take these jobs keep these jobs so it's not like you're getting a good high paying job and they work you to death and you get fired or you quit three months later you're keeping these jobs a lot of the reason for these jobs is the record high Texas production, both in crude oil and natural gas, which I think we talked about in the last episode of the time before. This is just making Texas a national and really a global energy powerhouse with our natural resources, making sure employment stays really high, which is good for the people that need the jobs. It's also good for the state, for the economy, and eventually the world, because we need to export energy other than this LNG pause that we're having.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so next up, we have BP appoints Murray Auchincloss as permanent CEO.
0: I hope I didn't butcher that. Actually, that's exactly how you say it. So if you don't know who Murray is, he was their CFO for 10 years, I think. Mm. He's been there for a very long time. He is who I thought they would naturally want to put in that space. I do know they were looking outside of BP. The problem at this point in history, especially with a super major, and bringing a CEO from outside of the industry is it would take them too long to get up to speed. Yeah, that makes sense. The other thing is you could bring in an insider from the industry. So say a senior VP or an executive from one of your competitors. Editors, but then you get to the point where you have to poach them, and that usually takes more money and more approval from the board, and time and yeah. more time. I think this is a great appointment here. It's the right time to have a CFO running BP. Uh, if you know BP's history, they decided to put a lot of effort and resources into renewables, and there's nothing wrong with that. They just called the market wrong, so now they're lagging behind them and Shell, while Exxon and Chevron have grown much, much larger. When you put somebody that is a numbers guy in charge of a company, he's going to turn it around, and right. I guarantee you that's. So they put him in here. The other thing is BP's margins have suffered for a while. The margins are still good, but compared to their competitors, they've not been as great for certain business units. He's going to be able to fix that. And then he's just a good guy. He's an industry guy. He understands the industry. A lot of people really like him. And I'll tell you something, if you remember why Bernie left, he left because he had an undisclosed relationship with the BP employee. And we don't know the details and I really don't want to know the details. However, guess what? Murray also has a relationship with BP employee, but he disclosed it. Uh,
1: Ah, that that makes a difference. The transparency. So now he had that
0: higher trust relationship with him, which I like. So congratulations! I think he's the right person. Not that they asked me. I'm looking forward to BP turning their business around and uh, passing up Shell. Sorry for my friends at Shell, but Murray, you got a long race ahead of you to catch up with Exxon and Chevron. Oh, you
1: already you already warned them. All right, Sunoco LP to acquire New Star Energy in 7.3 billion
0: dollar deal. Yes, Sunoco, who's the master owner of Sunoco? is. It? It's one of the big pipeline companies. Nah, I can't remember who. It's Energy Transfers. That's who owns them. Yeah. So basically, Sunoco's picking up Newstar for what? Their infrastructure. New Star has miles and miles of pipe in the ground. I think they have over 5,400 miles of refined product pipeline, over 2,000 miles of crude pipelines. I think they have 14 or 15 terminals, about 50 refined product terminals, and then a bunch of pipelines moving ammonia. Remember when you mentioned the ammonia that you have Mm -hmm. to make fertilizer from? This deal is going to close pretty soon this year. It looks like the approval has already been passed by both shareholders of both companies. This is going to add a lot of weight to Sunoco. Sunoco, it's an interesting company. They run a lot of pipelines and terminal operations, but they do it to bring fuels, motor fuels to convenience stores. And a lot of those convenience stores are independent dealers. that was called a jobber. By doing this, by basically giving them more infrastructure, they're going to do one or two things. They're going to be able to capture more convenience store business in the U.S. or they're going to be able to service their existing convenience store business cheaper. Both of which are good if you run a convenience store. In the U.S., even though that convenience store may say BP, Shell, Chevron, or whatever, it's not owned by any of them. The super majors do not own gas stations in the U.S. It's the least profitable part of the value chain. What happens is somebody buys a gas station or builds one, it's called a jobber, they make fifty dollars to $60,000 a year total profit, and most of that profit, almost all of it actually comes from the soda, the chips that you buy, not the gasoline you buy. The gasoline's just to get you there. And so a jobber owns usually two or three gas stations to make enough money to be able to live on, make a comfortable living. What this is going to do is Sunoco is going to be able to provide your neighbors, people that live in your local community that run these gas stations, either more product where they couldn't get it before or a cheaper product, which just helps the convenience store owners. Which I've always felt sorry for that. I've always wanted to do a convenience store podcast just because that world's totally different than what most people think it is. Anyway, good job. New store employees, they're going to stay around because there's no reason to get rid of any except the duplicate functions. Sunoco, this is a great acquisition by you by giving you that infrastructure, all the additional pipe. Which, by the way, if you're listening to me this year, 2024, if you're in the pipeline business, this should be your year. Here's a good example. If you do any type of pipeline maintenance, maintenance or integrity stuff. Here's a company that might need your help because they have basically increased their infrastructure by a third.
1: Okay. So next up, Sinopec discovers Project Deep Earth gas field.
0: Yeah. Hexachain is, I believe, how they pronounce this. So this is pretty cool. So this is Sinopec, the China Petroleum and Chemical Company. They have a field in Sichuan, China, and this is a deep field tons and tons of reservoirs. I don't know how much 133 billion cubic meters is, but it sure is a lot. Now, this reservoir that they've tapped in has an average barrel depth of 73,000 meters, which I think if I do my math right, is about 23,000 feet. They've discovered it. They've wildcatted the well. They've proven production. Now they get ready to go in full production. We don't often talk about China's exploration production. They're doing a lot of it and they've learned a lot, whether they learned it legally or illegal is a different story. They've learned a lot from the West about how to operate these fields effectively, safely, and actually environmentally responsibly. Good job, It's I'm looking forward to see what these production numbers when you go fully online.
1: All right. ExxonMobil's Baton Rouge refinery wraps three-year modernization program.
0: Hey, Exxon. I love you to death. I've been in this refinery multiple times. I actually, in high school, worked with a company of sandblasting and painting inside this refinery. So I got to see it from a frontline sweat your butt off level. And then before the pandemic, I don't remember when, it was years ago, I actually got a tour of the Baton Rouge Exxon Old Refinery. A couple things was very interesting. The first was the refinery manager is a woman, which I wasn't used to at that time, but she was incredible. And I think I've told this story before. We were walking through the refinery. She's giving me a tour. And she hears something that I didn't hear. And she gets on the radio and says something like, hey, Sam, there's a valve number 33 a 7s is getting ready to lose its package. Let maintenance know. And I go, how did you know that valve's getting ready to lose its package? She goes, it's the sound. I can tell by the sound. And in my head, I'm going, oh, my God. How do you digitalize that? Because once she leaves, the next refinery manager may not have her experience and may not know what that sounds like. How can you capture that, put it somewhere that you can train other refinery managers? And I don't know if they ever got around to that. This is huge. I have to make a little bit of fun of Exxon. Exxon, we have enough acronyms in our industry. We don't need more this uh, Baton Rouge Refinery Integrated Competitive Project, you had to give it an acronym, BRIC. R R I C. R I C. Can't we just call it an integrated competitive package or something? But anyway, the BRIC in the Baton Rouge Refinery, a bunch of money was dumped in to modernize the complex. They're increasing capacity, increasing flexibility for changing feeds. They're increasing the competitive of their technology. They put a bunch of technology to work and control their volatile organic compounds. They have a new Morning system at the Mississippi River dock, um, where they offload a lot of those large cargo vessels. Which, if you ever get a chance to see it, is amazing. They've put in technologies to extract carbon solids from crude feedstock, and it goes on and on. Um, new coke drums, new high pressure decoke water valve, a 100 foot tall drum for decoking processes. And anyway, they threw a little bit of money at this $240 million, which is basically to make this refinery more competitive with other refineries. And it's an enormous refinery. Now, as usual, Exxon didn't review any specific technologies or providers for the brick, but they did confirm how much money they spent on this and the nice thing is They didn't eliminate any jobs, so the technology didn't replace anything, which everybody's worried about, and the local area, which is Louisiana, ended up picking up about $20 million in taxes, which is great for the local economy, and they hired a bunch of local contractors, including 80 small and diverse businesses. 50% were uh, black-owned and 40% were women-owned, so you know, hats off to ExxonMobil for picking suppliers to do the job right on time and on budget, which also helps the local communities they operate in. Like I said, I've been to this refinery before. It is an amazing. If you ever get a chance to tour it, go do it.
1: My great-grandfather worked for them. They called him nub no because he's missing some fingers. Did he work in that refinery? He might have, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so.
0: Small world sometimes.
1: I know, I know. All right, so next up, new pipelines will bring significant volumes of natural gas to new LNG export terminals.
0: As long as our current administration gets their <laughs> right. rules overturned. Hence the... <clears throat> yeah, let me rattle off pipelines that this is talking about, and the jobs are going to be lost. The Golden Pass Pipeline, the Louisiana Connector Pipeline, the Connector Pipeline, you have the Gator Express Pipeline, the Evangeline Pass Expansion Project, the Venice Extension Project, you have the ADCC Pipeline, the Corpus Christi Stage 3 Pipeline, the Rio Bravo Pipeline, and on and on and on and on. All of these are being built to help bring the natural gas to export terminals, one of which is in Louisiana that we're gonna talk about a little bit later. And this is gonna allow these LNG plants to take this natural gas, compress it to a liquid, and move it around the world where people need it, like in Europe where it's freezing cold right now we don't want them buying Russian gas to stay warm. All of these projects are threatened with what our recent government did with the pause in the LNG project. So this is just a mess. Now, I will say this much, these pipeline projects, because they were already permanent, I don't think they're actually gonna be affected completely, by the pause an elegy their federal government did but it will affect them in some way the other thing that I do want to mention is that there's a lot going on in East Texas and South Louisiana and also Mexico as far as companies doing joint ventures together or sharing resources so that we can build all this infrastructure so we can supply LNG to the world, but also supply natural gas to Mexico, who has their own natural gas in the ground. They're struggling to get it out. And all this natural gas, all this does is increase countries' ability to provide cheap, abundant, reliable energy to their people, which then improves the quality of life it improves things like education, medical care, but it does other things that you may not think of. You know, you heard me talk earlier about food and the fertilizer made from natural gas. One of the things you don't hear anybody talking about is birth control. And for a lot of poor women in a lot of countries, their first step to get out of poverty is to be able to control when they want to have children. And by doing things like this, and boy, I'm going to get some hate mail on this that I tied birth control to LNG, but it's legit. Here come the activists. Yeah. A bunch of pipeline projects all built around LNG. Like I said earlier, if you're in the pipeline business, this is be a golden year for pipelines. We'll keep an eye on this. Like I said, expect these projects to continue, but we do need to pay attention to what our federal government's doing with this pause in LNG projects. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. Port Nola announces $226 million landmark grant award for the Louisiana International Terminal Project.
0: Hey, Texas. Louisiana is catching up with us I'm <laughs> about this earlier. So this is the Port of New Orleans. It's awarded over $226 million from the federal government to improve their port. Now, there's a whole bunch of stuff they're doing here. One is they're building a new terminal, which is great for the Port of New Orleans and also the coastal communities there. And Paige and I both know that area of Louisiana. You get outside of the tourist area of Louisiana and mm-hmm. there's a lot of middle to lower class people, unfortunately, yes, right? Unfortunately. They need these jobs. They can use these jobs. They are going to build a state or art terminal container, which I talked about last episode. They're also doing the same thing in Plaquemine. That's going to be located in Violet, Louisiana. I should do a trivia test and see how people know where Violet <laughs> Louisiana is. They're putting six Class 1 railroad lines, which is over 14,000 miles of railroad. They're going to have inland waterways and hubs to be able to move all these smaller vessels around to bring all the goods in and out. Louisiana lawmakers have also provide another $30 million for early development costs, which is basically training the workforce to build all this stuff, which is great. I love to see all this. This projects Expect it to create 32,000 new jobs nationwide, with 18,000 of the jobs being permanent here in Louisiana, with 4,300 of those jobs in St. Bernard Parish, the home of the White Boots. And only people that laugh at that joke are the people <laughs> from Louisiana because they get it. But this multi year, multi phase, huge port project is getting ready to kick off at the very end of this year. They expect the first ship warp to open in 2028. This is just great for the state of Louisiana, expanding their ports, being able to compete with Texas and between Louisiana and Texas, once this thing is done, I would really be worried Port of Los Angeles and California. Your hold on being the largest port in the U.S. I think is going to disappear right around 2027, 2028.
1: And that tracks. That definitely tracks. Okay, speaking of LNG, considering that's what this entire episode has been about, Asian LNG demand expected to increase in 2024.
0: Yep, by 5%, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot. China's the largest import market for LNG, but so is all of Asia-specific. I've said this for years. When Chevron started that project in Australia, which seems like 15 years ago, I had no idea what they were doing. I thought they were crazy. They somehow saw the Asian market for LNG before anybody else did, way before I did. That was genius. So a whole bunch of stuff going on. One of the things that they talk about in this project, and I've talked about before in the show, is that once you export the LNG, you really can't open the market up until you can import it. Mm. And import it means you need to build the reverse of an export terminal. You need to build an import terminal that can offload that very cold, very high pressure LNG gas. Then once you import it, you have to turn it back to a gas so you can put it back in a system, which also means you need to build regasification facilities and infrastructure. All that is being done around the world. You know, I make fun of Jeremy doing it quicker than anybody, but I'm sorry, they did. You can see a lot more of these import terminals being built around the world for LNG. You can see a lot more regasification because the world is moving toward LNG. It's great for the environment. It's cost effective. It provides stable, reliable energy to people so they don't have to burn cattle dung or wood to cook their food or heat their homes. However, Paige,
1: mm-hmm.
0: with all this being built and the demand for LNG is there and the demand for LNG is not going to or it's going to disappear. If we don't provide that LNG, guess who will? Russia. Yeah. And the Middle of East. Of course, yeah. Right? So the consumption of LNG is going to go up. We're building the infrastructure globally. There's no way to turn that backwards. It's not going to even break even. It's going to go up every year. And somebody has to supply the LNG. And I'm telling you people, nobody produces LNG as environmentally responsibly as the U.S. We have the cleanest LNG molecules in the world. Please, when you think about voting this year, think about this. You don't want other countries that don't have the same concern for the environment as we do supplying this LNG, which somebody's going to supply it. Anyway, great article showing the tie-in for the regasification and the import terminals needed for this market to continue to grow. It will continue to grow. I'm actually excited to see this, so we'll keep an eye on it.
1: Oh, this one's fun. Jane Fonda joins activist fishermen in protesting New Orleans Gas Conference. How many times has she been arrested now?
0: I don't know. She did something right after Vietnam that I don't even want to talk about because I'm going to get so mad that we have to bleep out everything I say after that. that's fair. I'm a big fan of hers. A couple of things to note here. They had about 100 people in front of Jackson Square. That's what they reported. Well, I looked at the pictures. It looked like seven, not seven,
1: <laughs> seven.
0: At least half the protesters I saw there had signs for the support of Palestine, which I'm not quite sure how that tied into I, this. Who knows anymore? I do think it was interesting that the protesters for this shouting, shell, shell, you can't hide, you get rich from genocide, which doesn't really rhyme. Y'all should work on that, people. But it almost seemed like it was a more pro-Palestinian a group of people did a thing that it was actually them protesting, once again, LNG. Now, a couple of things about this. This group of activists that were protesting the conference, they talked about they had some fishermen with them. There was only one fisherman. I do want to get to him because I don't think he was really a fisherman. They were at the outside the New Orleans Convention Center. And in the New Orleans Convention Center, they had the 20th American Energy Summit Exposition One of the things Fonda said, and this was quoted, and I've caught it several news sources, so she really did say this, is that it's clear to me that these men, referencing the men in the conference, don't give a rat's ass about human life. They don't care about the natural world, wildlife, or anything. Jane Fonda, i got to ask you a question. How did you get to this.
1: Yeah. Do you yeah. fly on a big jet did plane, you walk? buddy?
0: Did you ride a horse? <laughs> I don't think so. And most of this conference is around what? Of course, LNG. I promise you folks, I did not try to make this episode all the guys speak around LNG. That's what's going in the news right now. This is a thought, a convention, 3A convention for the leaders in the energy space, especially around LNG. It was also a bunch of Louisiana politicians and businessmen making the connections so they could benefit from all the businesses LNG business is going to bring to some state. And it's either going to be Texas or Louisiana. Now, now, they had a fisherman. His name was Philip Dyson. Just the name makes me think he was a plant. And I don't know. I don't know Philip. I don't know Dyson. But I'm from South Louisiana. He does not sound like a fisherman. And he said he's from Cameron. If any of our buds, and I got a lot of friends in Cameron, do y'all know Philip? And if y'all do, can y'all connect with him? Because I'd like to see if he really said this. Anyway, so what Philip the fisherman said from Cameron, Louisiana is <laughs> that all these people in this conference bought all the boats and the dock. And so he can't live anymore. And he can't live anymore because he has no place to dock his boat. That sounds ignorant. If you're in Cameron and you can't find a place to dock your boat, something is wrong. That's why I think that sounds this made is a, up. I agree. I don't know, but like I said, if anybody knows that him, like can make the connection. Then the other thing that he brought up is he said that last May in October, Venture Global used up all the water in his district, which means that his faucets didn't work. What? <laughs>
1: Can somebody confirm? Somebody reach out and confirm this, please. Can
0: somebody from Cameron confirm that between May and October, the water didn't come on when you turn your faucet on? Hmm. Maybe he didn't pay his water bill. Anyway, so Jane Fonda decided to show up here trying to disrupt stuff. Like I said, they say that 100 people show up. From the pictures, of the video I saw, I don't see anywhere near 100. One of the people did manage to break in. The guy's name was Benjamin Hoffman. And interrupted one of the keynote speakers. Mm. Basically, he jumped on, grabbed the microphone from her and said, I would like to thank you for poisoning our air and water. He announced shortly before security tackled his butt, threw him out. This is a mess. I get everybody's, and I actually support everybody's right to protest, even though I don't agree with you. I fought for my country. And that's one of the things that we're granted by the Constitution. However, what you don't do is interrupt people's businesses. You don't glue yourself to works of art. You don't stop traffic. You don't do anything that interferes with people's lives because when you start interfering with people's lives, they get mad and you're doing that intentionally and people get mad, bad stuff happens. For some reason, Jane Fonda left. I'm not sure how she left. I'm sure she walked all the way back to California, but it was just interesting that no matter what's going on, she seems to be involved. However, I will give her this much the large activist groups that she used to be a part of, think of Greenpeace and all that, they no longer her there. And So now she's out. That
1: speaks now eons. Now she's
0: protesting with fishermen from Cameron outside of the Convention Center in New Orleans. So, Jane Fonda, I think your days as a top-tier protester are probably about over, which is good. Good for all of us. I forgot she existed. I honestly thought she had died. Not that we wish death of, no yeah. no I, I just mean, change the subject. Two newsletters are killing it, and I mean that in a good way. Go sign up if you're in sales and marketing or you just would like to be updated about all the oil and gas events that are going on. We have an oil and gas events newsletter comes out once a month. Our Sunday update. I got a note today on social media saying thanks for the recipes. Our, awesome, great. You know, our Sunday update goes out once a week, not once a month. And it is really useful information, some real insider data on what's going on with the market. We have recipes from the oil field, behind the scenes, look at OGG and coupons, all kinds of stuff. Sign up for that one. Then weekly recount page. Where are we?
1: The United States is up one at 621. Canada's up seven at 230. Internationally, we're down 23 at 955
0: what we expected. You heard me mention this earlier. Just go sign up for our LinkedIn page. Shoot. We're almost at 60,000 people have signed up for that. Best place to learn about what we're doing. Merch. We got the best. No questions asked. Actually, let's look at this morning. If you search for all the gas merchandise on Google, we now come up number one because we are. Go check it out. We have some cool stuff. Finally got the proofs in for our baby and children's clothes, but we haven't put it out there yet. I'm hoping by the time you hear this, we'll also have children baby clothes on the merch site. If not, just give our team another week and they'll be out there with some great stuff coming out. Speaking, of, if you want myself and our experts to come do a live podcast, let us know. Happy to share details with you. First Friday Q and A, you know the drill. Ask a question. Uh, if we use your question there, you get a big shout out. Remember, people, if you're in Nate, come to Nate. Come check us out. Booth four three. We'll be there Thursday and Friday. Ready to get out of here? Yep. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.